Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on this 23rd of August. You guys are so smart and, frankly, so much smarter than me. So, yes, I can. For those of you who asked, can't you just text us the link to the blog post? Um, yes, I can. If you text me anything right now at 877-933-2484 and you want the link for the blog um, post on the waves of grief, and hope. Um, I'll send you, I'll I'll just respond by giving you the link because that's way easier than navigating everything else. So there you go. Yes, I can do that. Thank you for that suggestion and recommendation. Text me at 877-933-2484. I'll send you the link to the blog post. Um, As fires continue to scorch the northwestern United States, there were record-breaking flash floods this weekend across the state of Tennessee, particularly in middle Tennessee. Thank you to Many of you who texted and emailed and asked how we are faring, we are faring just fine. Um, Please be praying for the folks directly affected, uh, mostly in Humphreys County, particularly in a little town called Waverly. Uh, And you will hear, um, you will certainly hear in the national news that uh, Loretta Lynn's ranch um, really was just right in the center of this um, massive flash flood. And the man, Wayne, who has been her longtime ranch manager, manager, was checking on animals in a barn and swept away. Um, and so we want to be you know, praying for every family and every business affected. That will be the one that makes the national news. Uh, also, the strongest tropical storm to make landfall in New, New England for more than 30 years uh, arrived over the weekend. And so Prayers for folks in uh, in that region as well, wondering if there are uh, listeners in Connecticut this morning out of our Hartford Signal who want to just check in with us on the text line. we just like to hear that you guys are doing okay and what we might um, do to respond in addition to prayer. And while we're all paying attention to what is going on in Afghanistan, there are bad actors behaving badly in other places around the world. So don't forget to pray today for those uh, in China in Turkey and North Korea, on and on and on. The State Department did impose additional sanctions over the weekend on a handful of Russian entities involved in the construction of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Um, That has to do with um, what is going on in Ukraine. And so, again, uh, we have to be mindful of what's happening around the world, even as we are paying very close and personal attention today to what's happening in our own backyard. Uh, Mindy Bell's backyard is the world, mostly the Middle East, and so she's going to bring us a report from on the ground in Afghanistan. She has been talking with people there. You can read what we're going to be writing, uh, What you can read what we're going to be discussing uh, by visiting World Magazine at WNG.org. We'll be right back.
Joining me now, Mindy Bells from World Magazine. Mindy, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. So I think um, let's assume that uh, listeners know a little bit about what's going on in Afghanistan, but let's also assume that they don't know what you know. So from your perspective, what is happening and what and maybe what needs to happen? Yeah, Um, we've all been seeing the pictures and we know the situation is kind of impossibly grim. Uh, But I will say that over the last 24 hours, I think that, you know, we saw the pictures of families handing babies over the wire to try to get them into the airport. We have seen the desperation of the crowds trying to get in. Um, I think that the Biden administration actually has been responsive to that in some in some ways that we don't fully understand. Um, President Biden alluded yesterday to expanding the security perimeter. There are reports of U.S. military actually going out into the city. I've been tracking for the past week several groups, um, groups that involve aid workers, groups that involve Afghan Christians, groups that involve Westerners who need to get out. And some of these groups number in the hundreds of people. And so you can imagine they're already in danger in the city. They've been you know, tracked or visited by Taliban. Um, and uh, and so so every step of the way is just a precarious, dangerous thing. But it does appear to me, and I, I I'm tracking several groups and can't go into details that the um, the United States is making some new ways for them, first of all, to get to the airport, and then hopefully, and with our prayers, to get on planes and to get out of the country. Um, just for a couple of numbers, yesterday the United States. Uh, evacuate 8,000 people. I was watching overnight um, and in touch with several of these groups that were actually at one point 12 C-17s in the air headed for Kabul. And those were those were transport planes that have been back and forth, back and forth. Um, so this is an incredible effort. And I think there's there's a lot of room for, for criticism and I've been super critical of it. Um, but it is a time when our military is in harm's way and a lot of people that that we all uh, care about and some that we know are also in harm's way. And so um, it, is, it is a time for a lot of prayer. You know, prayer is, um, has been at the forefront of the way we've been responding, Mindy, and um, I think we've been seeking to temper our our frustration as we as we watch what seems a very chaotic withdrawal um, and that has resulted in the need for a massive evacuation, we have tempered that with um, activism. I know that many people have participated in supporting efforts to fund groups that are doing what you're talking about. And um, it's a it's a massive it has become not just a massive military effort on the part of the United States and this and the U.S. State Department. There's a massive civilian effort underway as well. And that's that's pretty extraordinary. I think that one of the things that most of us are having a hard time imagining is how are people even still like receiving good communication and how like I'm just I try to imagine like what would it be like to try to travel all the way across the country when there's one only one functional airport and then that functional airport is surrounded by tens of thousands of desperate people. Like, how does a person make their way through all that? Right, right. 
Well, and there there are some systems that have been set up again just in the last couple of days for getting people up to particular gates, up to particular points in the city. Um, but uh, but all that you say is actually true. And, you know, we keep looking for the silver lining. When I was talking to, to various people in Afghanistan a week ago, um, Afghans in particular were really, there were a number who were hoping to stay. There were a number who said, even as bad as it is, and, and some of them, you know, older Afghans, leaders in the, in the church, in, in fact, um, they've seen this before. And so, so there's a certain uh, stoicism about it and, and, and also reliance on the Lord that the Lord has seen them through 20 years. He will see them through again. And um, I've watched that shift uh, because because there's just a lot of desperation under there. The banks are closed. Um, most people are not able to access their own money in Afghanistan at the moment. Um, stores are intermittently open and closed, and people are afraid, and so they're just staying in their houses. And what that means is, um, we knew we knew an American couple getting out last week. They've been aid workers in uh, Afghanistan. They have one month old baby. And, and just getting stuck at the airport for 12 hours longer than you thought you would be, they actually were there probably several days longer than they thought they would be. They had no diapers. They had run out. And they were surrounded by families who had small children that did not have provisions for them for as long as they were being stuck. This is a situation across not only Kabul, but across Afghanistan, but um, particularly in, a, in Kabul, which is a stressed city on a good day, to be honest. Mm. You, you know, it's a city that has doubled in size over the course of the 20 year war and, um, and has not in any way had, or I shouldn't say in any way, there are some new roads, but really hasn't had the improvements that it's needed and has had a lot of things destroyed because of this war. And, um, and, and so, so life, especially, you know, as we would think of it, it is actually quite difficult anyhow. And when you add all these things together, it's becoming, nearly impossible. So that is why we're seeing increasingly crowds there who maybe don't have papers, maybe don't have any way of getting inside the airport or onto a flight, but they're desperate to get out of the country. And so we have, you know, we probably have to spend a lot of other time later talking about what led us to this point, because we really have come to a place where we did not prepare our our own military well. We did not prepare um, the people of Afghanistan, while well, we didn't even prepare and protect the Americans who were already working there. And I think this civilian effort that you allude to, you know, one of the just astonishing numbers that someone told me this past week, 850,000 Americans over the course of the last 20 years at one point have served in Afghanistan. That's that's military, defense contractors, and that, that sort. That's a lot of people who are right now uh, just, they know people there, they want to help them, they're in touch with them and trying to get them out. Mindy, I want to um, pray with you um, before we go to a break so that when we come back, we can, we can pivot to Haiti. Um, Father, we thank you for Mindy. We ask that you would continue to provide all that she needs to communicate with those on the ground in Afghanistan and track these precious people who are seeking to make their way out we ask, Father, for provision for those in such desperation. Um, we ask for security, a divine hedge of protection around each one as they make their way. Um, and, Father, that you would be very, very present to allay their fears. 
that you that this would be a gospel opportunity and a gospel moment, um, and that you would be the God who lets people know that you know where they are, you know their needs, and you are helping um, through your people to find a way, to find a way. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, Mindy and I will continue our conversation. We're going to pivot our attention to what's going on in Haiti. We'll be right back. Throw me like a stone in the water. Watch the mud rise up. Dress me like a lamp for the sky. All right. In the midst of everything going on in Afghanistan, we don't want to uh, turn our attention from the concerns of the people of Haiti just south of us. So Mindy Bells is going to... Share with us what she knows about the situation in Haiti today. You can find uh, Mindy at World Magazine, WNG.org. Mindy, what's going on in Haiti? Well, what's not going on in Haiti? You know, it's it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Um, and it seems to have, you know, just repeated uh, layers of, of political and natural disasters. And the latest, of course, is the earthquake this past week, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that has left at least 30,000 families homeless. And um, uh, and more, I mean, I mean, we're just hearing today more than 2,200 people have died. But this comes on top of um, uh, the political situation in Haiti. You know, the president of Haiti was assassinated weeks ago. There was a new president who came in and then was forced to step down or did step down. And um, what we're hearing and what you will hear if you read the press accounts, uh, my colleague Onise Ohikari has been following it at World and and others, uh, is that is that people know in this situation, they know the government is not going to be there to help them because the government is in complete disarray. And so they are begging for foreign assistance, begging for groups to come in. We did see the U.S. military send a uh, naval vessel down that way to help with some of the um, injuries and, uh, and, and needs that are there. And we're seeing groups move in that are that are hopefully trying. But, you know, this has all been complicated. Of course, an earthquake situation is just a, a, a terrible thing to sort of even pick through physically to find the people that you need to help. Uh, but layered on that was then Tropical Storm Grace moving through just days afterwards. And um, so so Haiti is going to be a long time digging out. When you think about um what's happening on the ground in Haiti, you know, I, I, the, there's an extraordinary number, like a really extraordinary number of NGOs, ministries that operate in Haiti and in relationship to Haiti. Um, how does that work when nothing else is working? Well, it really is um, the ones that are at an advantage, maybe the only possible advantage in this kind of situation, the ones who are already there, the ones who were there beforehand, who know the local communities, who are in affected areas where they can easily move out and begin to address needs. I think it's very hard for groups to sort of helicopter in after the fact. Um, And there are a number of good groups. There are actually some local NGOs that have done so much to um, help people with jobs and training and that sort of thing. Many of them are moving into a mode of assistance. But again, um, you know, the things that we take for granted here that 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 when these kinds of, of, of terrible storms and earthquakes happen, 
that um, we will have local authorities who are there to on the scene to help, that we will have utility companies that come to put power back on. These are the things that are missing in Haiti right now. It's just this long, slow, um, I, I would, I mean, it's not really even a decline. It, it's It's been a failure to thrive for quite a while now. And, you know, Haiti has just never fully recovered from the mass of 2010 earthquake and um, that destroyed so much of the country. And, um, and, and so it, you could say in one sense of people, people are resilient, people are used to this, um, as hard as it is to say that. But on the other hand, um, it just seems that they build things up only to see them torn down again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the UN, reading a UN report that says violence, road blockages and other security concerns, including, you know, a lack of basic necessities have rendered the southern peninsula of Haiti largely inaccessible to relief actors, um, not only in recent days and weeks, but throughout the recent months. There, there's already, mm-hmm. there was already a volatility, um, I mean, right. you know, since the, well, leading up to, right, it's not as if the assassination of the president took place in a vacuum. And I think that's what you're pointing to. Right. Like we're, there, there's this, these are, these are generational issues. Right. Right. And, and Haiti's inability to stand up a, um, a stable government that is not prone to corruption. Um, these are endemic problems and they're not going to be resolved overnight. And, and I think that, you know, as Americans looking on, um, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting in a pretty comfortable place this morning. And as Americans looking on, I think we think, uh, what more can we do or what possibly can we do that's actually effective? And as you always highlight, we can always pray, but there are more things. I mean, I do think that we have to look at ways that our own government can be effective in its assistance and, and not just throwing money at problems that we can be actually engaged with people on the ground and, and, and not just standing back and, and, um, uh, you know, offering solutions that aren't really appropriate for the setting. These are like big principles that we all know apply in our local communities, but they also apply in situations like Haiti and really in situations like Afghanistan, um, that, that we have to ask more of our own leaders to be doing things that are effective and not simply appear, uh, for appearances sake or that appear to be effective. So, Mindy, um, I know that you mostly focus on what's going on internationally, but I thought in uh, in relationship to our this conversation and the one about Afghanistan, sometimes we don't know what to do to help. And sometimes what we think we should do is ultimately not helpful. As the first Mm -hmm. Afghan um, evacuees arrived in northern Virginia um, at the Chantilly Expo Center, apparently local people, you know, desiring to do something arrived in wave upon wave with, you know, bags of clothes and ha- and household items and toys and on and on and on and on. So much so that those donations actually then impeded the process of the people mm, getting mm-hmm. <laughs> getting where they needed to be. And, and you know, who's going to now deal with what are now mounds of goods that are not sorted, that may or may not be appropriate for the people may or may not be culturally appropriate. I mean, just so I think that there are times that in our desire to do something, um, we, we do more, we don't necessarily do what's most helpful. 
Yeah. And I also think if we're honest, that desire to do something, there, there's an element of pride to that. There, there's an element in which, it, you know, we want to check a box off for ourselves so that we can move on to the other things in our, in our lives. And so mm-hmm. I, I think we just, it's a, it's a time to be really wise. I think we are at the beginning of something in Haiti. There's going to be a long um, dig out of that. We're at the, we're at the beginning of something in Afghanistan. It looks like we're at the end, but we're not. Um, mm-hmm. there is going to be conflict and, and potentially even civil, a civil war in Afghanistan. It is, we've, we've watched in Iraq, how we've been in and out, in and out, and that our leaving in this kind of way often doesn't mean that we actually are done. And, um, and these families that you're talking about that are arriving, there are going to be families that, it's, that we're going to see even over the next week arriving in places all over um, the world. And, and in some way there is a U.S. responsibility. There's an American responsibility there for us to find out what are the best ways to care for them, not just the ways that we can care for them so that we can move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, you and I are going to um, have time and opportunity to talk about this in the coming weeks and months and years. Mindy Bells, as always, thank you so very much. We'll be praying for you as you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening around the world. You guys can find Mindy at World magazine wng worldnewsgroup.org we'll be right back we talk about freedom in christ and yet we have a lot of christians a lot of christ followers a lot of brothers and sisters in christ who are not living lives of freedom they are captive in particular to shame and guilt and regret and feel trapped in all of that. So how do Christians revive a relationship with God when they're feeling burned out or hopeless or shameful? We're going to talk with Kevin Butcher. He heads up Rooted Ministries. He's also written the new book, Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the Life-Giving Love of Jesus. That's up next here on Morning with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. Believe in the Jesus who believes in you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What will God do for you? It is not ours to say what God will do. It simply falls to us to stand up, take up, and walk. Jesus is serious about this command. When he found the just healed man in the temple, he told him, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. To indulge in inertia as the man had done, well, that is to sin. Stagnant do-nothingness is deemed as a serious offense. God is the God of forward motion, the God of tomorrow, the God of what's next. And he is ready to write a new chapter in your biography. This is Max Lucado. There's always a reason to always choose joy. Kevin Butcher joins us now. He heads up Rooted Ministries. He is also the author of a recently released book from Tyndall entitled Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the Life-Giving Love of Jesus. 
Kevin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, good to be with you. And indeed, it is really early morning here. Well, you know, I get up early every day, so I don't, I don't, you know, my sympathy is short. So I just confess. I just confess. I, yeah. So, um, all right. Your story is woven into this story because you have this, this shared experience of, um, needing to be released into the life giving love of Jesus. I think the easiest thing for me to do is just invite you to, to share that part of your story. Um, you know, there were all these outward measures, and yet inwardly there was something else going on. So uh, sharing part of your story, maybe it will help us point to the problem that you're seeking to address in the book, Free. Sure. Um, Well, I trusted Christ when I was five years old. I felt, I remember the moment, I remember the experience, I felt the love of Jesus Christ, and I responded. And it was about 30 years later when I first began to consistently feel that love again. In between, after receiving the love of Christ uh, as a kid, I felt the rules. I felt the invitation into performance. To, to use the, the commonly used word today, I felt the shame. And of course, shame is, is different from guilt. Guilt is what we do. We, we can be forgiven from guilt. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, we, we know the verse. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Shame is about who we are, Carmen, and it, and it tells us that we'll never be enough. And it really ultimately makes you want to die. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I, I performed the heck out of Christianity, out of, out of life. Um, I, I was, a, uh, you know, I, academic honors, athletic honors all the way through university, and I was a successful pastor. And then at the age of 36 in 1990, uh, after yet another performance that I, again, had been insidiously taught, this is what God's looking for, if he's going to accept you, uh, if he's going to approve of you, if you're going to have a relationship with him. I went out, did a sermon somewhere up in the northern suburbs of Detroit, got the applause, dro- driving home. It was like, um, it, it just came over me. You don't want to do this anymore. In fact, you don't want to live anymore. And so with my three little girls and my best friend who I was married to, um, just a few miles away, I almost, I came within a Nats eyelash carpet of driving off the freeway at I-94 in Allard into into a cement embankment because I couldn't live under that shame any longer. Yeah, that's my story. And I think it's the story of many. Not that they get to the point where they want to kill themselves, but deep inside, they live like they want to die. All right. That is the, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And and that is the issue that Kevin is addressing in the book, free, rescued from shame-based religion, released into the life-giving love of Jesus. So um, let's talk about um, the, the disconnect. Why is shame such an issue in the Christian life? Like, wh- how did we get here? Well, First of all, let me let me just say what uh, Kurt Thompson in his book, The Soul of Shame, which I have a chapter on shame in, in, in my book, Free, of course, but his his book, Shame, is like the grandfather of the conversation on shame. And he says that we all, this is profound, Carmen, I think, he says we all come out of the womb looking for someone, looking for us with love and delight. 
Mm. In other words, we're created in the image of a relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit to connect, to be loved. We're not created to respond to the rules. And yet, when you go back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve had the love of God, they had intimacy with God. It was enough. The enemy came along and said, no, <clears throat> it's really not enough. He's trying to hold out on you, um, not because he loves you, but because he doesn't want you to be like him. What you need is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In fact, what he was saying was, what you need is you need to know the rules. And Greg Boyd in his book, Repenting of Religion, says that since that moment when Adam and Eve said, oh, the love of God's not enough, I can't just respond to his love. We need the rules as well, which we could not handle. And God knew it. We, we couldn't handle that, that, that good and evil situation. Greg Boyd says that since that day, the fight in our lives is between, are we going to be about performance and rules? Or are we going to return to the love of God? And of course, in Christ, Christ made it clear that he loves us. His final command to, the, to, to his followers in John 15 was, abide in my love, make your home in my love. But unfortunately, most religious experience, even Christian religious experience, Carmen, is based upon leaders trying to control and trying to make us do what they think we're supposed to do. And so I would say a great portion of Christianity across denominational lines, across ethnic and socioeconomic lines is about shame. It's about you'll never be enough. You better try harder. You better work harder at performing and um, and it leads to death. We're not created to respond to the rules. We're created to respond to love. All right. I am talking with pastor and author Kevin Butcher. Um, Rooted Ministries is one of the places that you can find him, rootedministries.co. Um, the book that we are discussing today is uh, is Ken's new book, Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the life-giving love of Jesus. All right, Ken, you said a number of things there. Um, you talked about abiding. I want you to describe what the abiding life or the life abiding in Christ looks like. Um, and then you also, you know, you allude to the fact, you tell us it. we don't have to live where we are in terms of this shame-based religion. How do we get from where we are to what you're talking about? So, I'll just tee up both of those questions. Oh, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to tee up both of those questions. The question about abiding, what does that look like? Um, And how do we get from where we are to the freedom that Ken is describing? We're taking a very brief break. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Kevin Butcher, we are talking about his brand new book, Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the Life-Giving Love of Jesus. Kevin, um, let's talk about abiding. We, you know, we recognize Jesus's invitation for us to abide in him, that he would abide in us. What does it really mean to abide in Christ? Well, it's a, it's a fascinating Greek word, and, 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 and the, the concept basically, Carmen, is to make your home in, to make it everything, to, to literally um, walk in as the primary influence in your life. And so one of the chapters in the book, I think, is entitled something along the lines of your one great love. It's, it's uh, concretely, it's beginning to realize that Jesus is not 
our spiritual CEO or our spiritual life coach, you know, um, barking orders and, and, and pointing toward the pathway. He is our one great love. We're, we're intended to not just believe in him. I mean, the word um, pistuo, the, the Greek word for believing is an important Greek word, but for by grace, we're saved through faith, through believing and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God for real, but we're not intended to stay there with just faith. We're intended to fall in love with Jesus. So to abide in the love of Jesus is to live with him, to walk with him, to keep our attention upon him because as our one great love. And then in terms of um, how to, to go there from shame, I think, first of all, Carmen, for me, you know, what an abrupt awakening. I think at first, we've just got to get honest. When, when, I, when I do seminars and when I do uh, weekend retreats on this subject, there, there's a long list that came out of my life, not out of some kind of a textbook of the signs that, that we don't really believe that God loves us. We know the Bible verses. We might know John 3, 16, but that's not the point. The point is, um, do we experience that love? So the first thing to do is get honest. Hey, I'm wrestling with this love. I've got this overwhelming sense of shame, of of constant guilt, like I'm not measuring up. Um, I have identity issues. I, I have a critical spirit because inside me, I have a critical voice that's barking at me all the time. Um, I struggle in relationship. I, I feel that this finger pointing from God that basically is saying, I know what you did last night. And by the way, you better get with the program today. These are some of the signs that we're that we're, that we're wrestling with the love of God. So first, Carmen, I think it's about getting honest. And then, you know, Psalm, what is it? 62, eight, I think says, pour out your heart before the Lord, because he's a refuge for us. When, when we begin to at least dream that maybe he could be our one great love and not this finger pointing, shaming instructor, um, I think that I think he's inviting us then to pour our heart out to him, pour our shame out to him, tell him what's going on inside of us, telling the, the deadness that's going on. Well, my little girls were very young, Carmen. They would, when they get in trouble or they would see something that frightened them, they'd run to me, they'd crawl up in my arms and they would sob. And then for about, after about five minutes, they'd get up, push me away and go back to playing. And over the years, I've realized that that's the promise of Jesus in uh, Isaiah 61 that he quotes in that in, in Luke 4, that I'll give you beauty for your ashes. I'll give you joy in exchange for your mourning. It's if God really is the lover that we're talking about, Carmen, when we when we pour our heart outs to him, uh, hearts out to him, he will give us beauty for ashes. He will take that pain and give us his joy and the beginning of a beautiful love relationship in return. And then finally, we've got to find community where we can experience that love on a human level. Fascinating, neurobiological science today, Carmen tells us that what heals the literal damage that occurs in the limbic brain of a human being when they're not loved, which by the way, they can track from the third trimester in the womb if a baby's not loved, their limbic brain begins to, to get, receive damage, that the way that damage can be healed is by love. That's a neurobiological scientific truth. So no wonder Peter says in 1 Peter 4 to the church, above all things, love one another, because that love 
will cover, will heal a multitude of sins. So that, that's like a brief pathway. That's what I live every day. I try to get honest with God. I pour my heart out to him as my one great love. And I am involved in intimate community where I can be vulnerable, share my shame and receive love uh, that will heal that shame every time. That's the pathway as I understand it from the word of God. Kevin, we have a friend um, who just texted in. This guy is speaking to what I experience all the time, not measuring up to be loved by God. Man, I mean, I'm just hearing that text messes up my heart because I want to get with that brother for a cup of coffee and I want to reach across the table if he would allow me to and just take his hand brother to brother and look him in the eye and say, my friend, I can't make you believe this, but I believe that Jesus who said he's come to heal us and set us free is right here at this coffee table with us doing his healing work. So let me say to you, I love you. And let me say to you that he loves you and he wants to heal your broken heart. And I would then go on to tell him, Carmen, uh, don't forget, I am you. I was the guy that almost took his life and, and, and because of shame. And even today, the enemy hasn't let up on me. I just know now to run to my, my one great love. And I would embrace that brother and say, let's start the journey together. Let's start right now by getting honest, pouring it out to him. And then let's, let's walk together and watch the love of Jesus heal that shame. The love, I would say to him, that took Jesus to the cross kept him on the cross for us. And then when he said, it is finished, Carmen, that love was what destroyed the powers of darkness, defeated the powers of darkness. I would say to that brother, let's watch that love continue to heal me and begin to heal you on our journey home. Um, I'm, uh, um, our friend is saying, does Kevin want my email or my number? I'd love to talk to him. And let me just say to you, um, I am going to give Kevin your number so um, you guys Indeed. can talk. So we're going to make that happen. Um, so if you are the person listening right now from the 952 area code who's been texting with me, I'm going to give Kevin your number off air and, uh, and he'll reach out to you. So um, thank you, Kevin, for your ministry. Thank you for the conversation today. Thank you for the book. The book is free, rescued from shame-based religion, released into the life-giving love of Jesus. Um, and if you have a pastor who needs some encouragement, I'm going to encourage you to check out Kevin's ministry at rootedministries.co, Rooted Ministries. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today and your ongoing ministry. Carmen, so honored to be with you. Blessings. Blessings to you as well. We'll be right back. Wow, lots of uh, encouraging words today um, for and with and to one another. Just know your brothers and sisters in Christ are praying for you. Let us be people who extend the love of God to others today. People are desperate to know that God loves them. And so let me just say it to you right now. God loves you. God loves you. Um, he is the one who created you before the foundations of the earth and he brought you forth. He brought you forth. So if you have ever been wondering whether or not someone loves you, 
the answer to that question is yes, magnificently and fully and completely and forever. If you're looking for someone that's looking for you with love, looking at you with love, looking towards you with love, that's Jesus. Pour out your heart to him today. He has already poured out his heart, his life, his blood for you. Come to Jesus. Let him be the lover of your soul. Let him be the one who reconciles all things. There's no shame with Jesus. He loves you. And it's not that everything, you know, is then instantly okay. It's that everything is right instantly and forever. Jesus is the lover of your soul. Let's let's as believers prioritize consistently our time with him, our time in the word that we would be washed in the love of God and that we would be demonstrating and extending it to others. We live in a world that needs to know God loves you. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.